0: Pastor Chad, thank you and the team for leading us, and especially for that time of confession. Last Sunday night, over 60 people from all generations gathered for a two-hour time of prayer right here in the worship center. That time of prayer was led by Pastor Kyle and our Mainspring ministry. That's our young adult ministry. Fifteen different people led in prayer guided us through, and as Chad said, we followed the acrostic acrostic chat. Started with, well, we started with honor, but confession, honor, ask, and thanks. There were times for silent and corporate prayer. We began by focusing on the names and attributes of God as we remembered his faithfulness, and then we moved to a time of both personal and corporate confession. I was gripped by the prayer of a 20-year-old, Reagan Leberge. She said this to set up our prayer of confession. Overall, we don't typically think about corporate confession when we're confessing our sins. Usually, we tend to think about our own sins if we confess at all. But when we look to the scriptures, we see that God holds both individuals and and communities accountable for their sins. Unless we fully feel the weight of our sin and the ugliness of it all, we cannot see how badly we are in need of rescue. And then we confess sins of racism and abortion and human trafficking and pornography. Well, that was followed by interceding for the persecuted church and for unreached people groups. Then we prayed for our global and community go team partners. We prayed for our country and for our spheres of influence. It was also impacted when Chastity Holmquist led in prayer for the persecuted church and Shalom Warrington prayed for unreached people groups. Both of these women wept while they interceded. And it hit me as we were praying for the persecuted Christians around the world, the way they're able to remain faithful is because they've engaged their desire, they're denying themselves, they have died by carrying their cross daily, and they're devoted to fully follow Christ. And then I had this thought. The only way the unreached will be reached is if people like us desire with all that we have to line our will up with his will. That if you and I would deny ourselves, if we would die to self by taking up our cross daily, and if we're totally devoted to him and follow him wherever he leads. We ended by thanking God for His faithfulness, for the highs and lows of life, for God's provision and protection, and for us to line our lives up with His will. It was extremely moving. One couple told me that they had not experienced a two-hour prayer time since their college days, and I can't wait for our next one. You do know, don't you, that Christianity was never designed to be comfortable. It's not for us to, we're not to approach our relationship with Jesus casually. No, Jesus is looking for devoted disciples who are fully committed to him. He doesn't want fickle fans who applaud for him once in a while. No, he wants faithful followers. Well, as I mentioned last weekend, we're taking three weeks to drill down into one verse. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. There are Bibles in front of you, or feel free to use your mobile device. Words of Jesus, and he said to all, here's the words of Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and... Take up his cross daily and follow me. We summarize the sermon this way. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. And after considering the call to discipleship, we fleshed out two of the four conditions of discipleship. Desire first. We need to desire to be a disciple. Jesus said, if anyone would or wish, if you want to, come after me. And then denial. That's the second condition. That's to deny self, which leads to our focus today, death. And take up his cross daily. Next weekend, we'll unpack the importance of devotion by focusing on this phrase, and follow me. So listen to Luke 9.23 again. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now let's look at this third condition more closely and take up his cross daily. We see first the word and. That can be translated as also indicating that what comes next is a continuation from the conditional clause right before it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and. After making sure we desire to be a disciple and denying ourselves, the next step is to take up our cross daily. To take up means to Pick up. It essentially means to lift from the ground. It's an aorist imperative, meaning it's a command to do it now with no delay. Interestingly, in Matthew 14, 20, after feeding the 5,000, that's what took place shortly before this, the disciples took up 12 baskets full of, of broken pieces left over. So after bending over to pick up leftovers, well, now they're called to humble themselves and to pick up the very thing that will take their lives. The same word is found in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. was also used of Simon of Cyrene when he took... He picked up the cross of Jesus when he was compelled to carry that cross beam. The command to take up shows crosses are not forced on our backs because they don't come against our will. Note, the cross is not something we have to lift. It's a burden we choose to bear for Christ's sake. Oh, look at it again. It says take up. That's a conscious decision to be a cross-bearer by picking up that which is difficult, distasteful, and ultimately leads to death. No, Jesus said each one must take up his cross. So Christ bore a cross we can never bear When he carried the collective weight of our sin and he endured the righteous wrath of our holy God when he hung on the cross, resulting in our redemption and forgiveness. So while Simon assisted Jesus with his cross on the way to be crucified, we are called to carry our cross, not his. Now listen to the words from a hymn called, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? It was published in 1693. Should Simon bear his cross alone and all the rest go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. In the introduction to Erwin Lutzer's new book called, We Will Not Be Silenced, he quotes a Christian poet, his name is Vasily Zufkowski. He says this, We all have crosses to bear, and we're constantly trying on different ones for a good fit. (laughs) Lutzer adds, we're always looking for the lightest cross to bear. Charles Spurgeon told a story about a group of cross bearers who were invited to bring their crosses and put them in a big pile. Well, then they were told to pick up the cross they liked best. Well, of course, no one took the cross they came with. They took another one that looked better to them. So they went away with their neighbor's cross on their back. After only a few hours, they returned, asking to have their old crosses back. They discovered the cross they had carried before had so worn their shoulders that they had become used to that particular burden. The new cross was rubbing them in new places, so they were each glad to put their neighbor's cross down and walk away with their own cross. Listen, get this. You are not called to carry someone else's cross. You are called to take up your cross, and I'm to take up mine. So carrying your cross is unique, individualistic, Jesus cannot do it for you. He already carried his cross and then died for our sins. No one else can carry your cross either. Warren Wiersbe writes, Jesus did not stop with a private announcement of his own death. He also made a public declaration about a cross for every disciple. Now, these words of Jesus, uh, they would have been radical. They would have sounded horrible in the first century. Why? Well, crucifixion was a common Roman punishment with over 30,000 nailed to crosses throughout the Roman Empire during the lifetime of Jesus. A few years earlier before Jesus and his disciples arrived in Caesarea Philippi, 100 men had been crucified in that area. One person writes, At times, the roads around Jerusalem were lined with hundreds of crosses bearing dead and dying men, their bodies bloated in the sun, surrounded by flies, covered with maggots. It's not a pretty thought or one calculated to win the masses. Would you notice Jesus picked the one Image which would make the most people turn away. Everyone knew the cross was an instrument of shame and suffering and torture and death. And so when a person took up his cross, he was beginning a death march. Here's some questions to make the call of cross bearing more personal into our worlds question number one F four are you willing to lose your closest friends are you willing to be alienated from your family are you willing to lose your reputation and are you willing to lose your life now that doesn't mean all this will happen but the key is for us to be ready if it does happen So in essence, cross-bearing means being willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Now unfortunately, we've romanticized the cross. We've turned it into jewelry or wall hangings or artwork. And when we do reference this work, this, this verse, we often say something like this, well, I guess that's just the cross I must bear. And, and maybe that refers to putting up with an obnoxious relative or living with an illness. But, but let's listen. The cross was carried by condemned criminals and ended with a humiliating and excruciating execution. To carry your cross meant you were bearing your cross Until you eventually reached the place where you would be crucified. Everyone knew the person walking with his cross was saying goodbye to everything. And there was no turning back. Friends, we're called to crucify the cult of self-fulfillment, of self-promotion and self-centeredness. We're to die to our rights, the right to be right, the right to take revenge, the right to fight. J.C. Ryle puts it, a religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. You know, interestingly, according to almost universal tradition and archaeological evidence, the apostle Peter ended up literally fulfilling this when he was crucified on a cross, reportedly upside down. And it's reported that 11 of the disciples died martyrs' deaths. Check out what Christine Hoover writes, Nonetheless, the cross is relentless in my life. It pursues and crucifies my claims on self-rule and self-glory. The gospel, because it is by nature sacrificial, requires my self-sacrifice. The gospel lays claim to us all. Christ lays claim to our ambitions, our money, our minds, our work, our children, and yes, even our sexual activity. We cannot lay out for the unconverted a Christianity that will make life better when in fact faith in Jesus often makes life more difficult. Because the priceless value of knowing him comes at a cost to self. We become no longer our own. Everything we are and do must be submitted to someone else, namely Christ. I wonder if you agree that we live in a time of cheap grace. Easy believism. Where Christianity is more identified with health and wealth than with surrender, sacrifice, and service. Oswald Chambers writes, All heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terrified of it. While men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning. number of years a book came out, I think it was in the mid 90s, it eventually was turned into a movie. It was called Dead Men Walking. It referred to a death row prisoner walking from his cell to the place to be executed. And when he passed the other cells on his walk, the other prisoners shouted, Dead Man Walking. So the man was alive and walking but he was as good as dead. He was on a one-way journey he would not be coming back from. Once A.W. Tozer was asked what it means to take up your cross. Tozer answered by telling a story. He said, a young man came to an older believer and asked, what does it mean to be crucified? The older man thought for a bit and answered, to be crucified means three things. First, the man who is crucified is facing only one direction, Number two, the man on the cross is not going back. And third, the man on the cross has no further plans of his own. That's good. A disciple's facing one direction. He's not going back, and he has no further plans of his own. Romans 12.1 challenges us to give our lives fully to the Lord, not halfway, but all the way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that's one of the definitions of worship, that we surrender our very bodies to the Lord. We're to surrender ourselves as living sacrifices, Uh, Someone has observed the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar, right? Greg Allen offers this insight. To crucify a man was to expose him naked and battered for public ridicule and shame. It was to pin him, bleeding and in writhing agony, to beams of wood suspended by his arms until the life was slowly drained out of him. It was something so terrible that it was reserved for the vilest of criminals and scoundrels, the scum of the earth. To be forced to bear one's own cross then was to be made to embrace its shame and humiliation. To carry it to the place of execution was to carry the instrument of one's own dying. To bear the cross was the polar opposite of embracing the right to self. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Would you observe the next word? These are words of Jesus. Here's the word, daily, The need for dying to self is never finished in this life. It must be a daily decision of the will because discipleship is a daily discipline where we follow Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time. A.T. Pearson says getting rid of the self-life is like peeling an onion, layer upon layer, and it's a tearful process. So each day, every day. Today, you and I must decide to die to self and identify with Christ in surrender, in suffering and sacrifice. This is not to be an occasional occurrence, only when we feel like it. Rather, it's to be a response of obedience, words of Jesus, daily. So why do we need to do that daily? Well, I'll speak for myself, because every morning when I get up, My flesh wants to be fed. My desires want to dominate. My will wants what I want. Someone has said fallen flesh is still depraved flesh and it's not dead. Recently, Pastor Dan and I met with a young couple who uh, sensed God's call to take the gospel to unreached people as they're preparing to leave for some intensive training time in Mexico. They're gonna be gone for 10 months and we were down on the lower level. I'll never, re- I'll never forget the conversation. I asked them what they're hoping to learn. So here's this young couple eager to go and get training. I was not prepared for their answer. This is what he said. We want to learn to suffer well. Well. That's what they want to get out of their training. They want to learn to suffer well. And shortly after meeting with them, I read a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says this, We do not pray for a life set free from suffering. We pray for a life set free from sinning. The Apostle Paul modeled this. Check out 1 Corinthians 15.31. He says, I die every day. So seeing ourselves as crucified with Christ gives us power to live the Christian life. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Same book, chapter 5, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Some time ago, I came across this cartoon, which made me smile, but then not so much. It made me squirm. This is like a growth group. Someone says, well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once, Galatians 6.14, Paul stated that his crucifixion with Christ enabled him to not follow the ways of the world. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me. The world's dead to him and I to the world. In preparation for this message, I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. It's called The Procession of Cross Bearers. <laughs> this sermon was preached in 1875. That's 30 years before Edgewood began. This sermon was so good, I was tempted to preach it. <laughs> Instead, I want to give some of his encouragement as to why we should take up our cross. Number one, you cannot be a disciple unless you take up your cross. Number two, think of those who've come before you who have carried a heavier cross. This would include those noble martyrs and sufferers for Christ's sake like well, like those described in Hebrews chapter eleven, thirty-six to thirty-eight, others suffered mocking, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Number three. Contemplate the severe sufferings of our Savior. Spurgeon quotes this statement, His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Christ my Lord suffer and shall I repine? Although tribulation is the path God's children must take, they can take comfort in knowing their master has traveled the way before them. More than that, they He has given us His presence with us, His sympathy to encourage us and His grace to support us and His example to help us know and learn how to endure. 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, comma, leaving you an example so that You might follow in his steps. Number four, grace will be given to help you bear your cross. Number five, cross-bearing will be a blessing. Number six, Jesus is honored when you carry your cross. And number seven, oh, that'll be glorious. In a short time, your cross will be exchanged for a crown. There are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. So taking up our cross is quite a condition for discipleship, isn't it? So do you desire to be a disciple? Are you denying yourself? And are you ready to take up your cross daily? Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your I conclude with the introduction to Spurgeon's sermon. Your mind's eye can see that procession yonder. Notice it carefully. At the head of it, there walks one whom we rightly call Master and Lord. You know him by the Prince of nails in his hands and feet. I observe that he carries a cross. It's a very heavy one. Do you see the long line following him? They are all those of whom the world was not worthy. That line has been continued even to this day and will be continued until the present dispensation shall close. As you watch these different followers of Christ in the procession, one thing will strike you, that however much they differ in some respects, they are all alike in one thing. Every one of them carries a cross. There's no exception to this rule. From the master down to the last disciple, it's a procession of cross bearers.